You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the final episode of the Story Collider's Stories of COVID-19 series. This week, we're concluding our series with two stories about the lasting impacts of the pandemic. Both of these stories ask, where do we go from here? Before we jump in, I want to let everyone know at the start that these stories might be hard to listen to for some, in particular the second story this week. The first is from someone suffering from long-haul COVID, and the second from someone who lost a loved one to this virus. We're very grateful to these storytellers for being willing to share these experiences with us, even as they're still suffering, as so many around the world still are as a result of this pandemic. So we at StoryClater invite you to bear witness to these experiences that they've shared with us. Our first story today is from Howard Lieberman. It was recorded in April 2021 at his home in Minnesota. I don't know why or when I became Dr. Lieberman. I'm not really a doctor, and I don't play one on TV. But ever since I was a young child, people have referred to me as Dr. Lieberman and friends relatives, neighbors, strangers, sometimes at the coffee shop, will say, Howard, this is what I'm feeling. What's wrong with me? And rather than send them to a real licensed doctor, I tell them and I offer my advice. However, Dr. Lieberman isn't always right. It's March 2020. I'm starting to hear about COVID this new disease that's spreading. And I don't know much about it, but being Dr. Lieberman, I read up about it. So when people ask me, I'll know what to say. I was asked to go on one more business trip from Minneapolis to Kansas City to interview someone for a position. I don't remember what the position was. I thought I could drive I thought I could fly. I thought I could say no because, you know what, there's a pandemic brewing. I said yes. And I decided to fly because it's, what is it, an, an hour and then 20 minutes most from Minneapolis to Kansas City. I flew there. We had a meeting. It was the right person for what we were looking to do. It was a beautiful kind of urban hotel. It's one of those hotels that look really chic. Not very comfortable, but it's it's just very urban. We touched elbows. We made jokes. We had dinner together, made jokes. The next morning, I overslept and decided to just throw on clothes, take an Uber, and get to the airport. Well, I got to the airport, and I was really, really hungry. I was starving. I saw Burger King. Now, I wouldn't normally get Burger King because I'm kind of a food freak, but the Kansas City Airport has these little pods. 
and you can only have what's in your pod, more or less. And so I said, oh, hell, they've got that, that almost burger or whatever they call it. They're not really meat burger. And I ordered one of those, a Whopper that's not really meat, prepared by a woman who wasn't masked and who was looking a little sweaty, shall we say. And then I walked over to the Starbucks, got a cold brew from a woman who was not masked. And she didn't look all that healthy either, to be honest. I ate about half the burger, drank all the coffee because coffee's more important than food, right? Got on the airplane, flew home, and said, easy peasy. See, no big deal. Until about, oh, six days later, I started to feel sick. Upper respiratory distress, a fever, something I never have. I hadn't had a fever as an adult ever. Shortness of breath, just a lot of issues. So my wife finally convinced me to go to urgent care. To me, urgent care is to health care as Burger King is to food. If you have to, you have to, but just avoid it. I went to urgent care. I started to describe my symptoms and I asked the physician's assistant, could I be tested for COVID? And she said, in a not very nice way, no, who do you think you are? Now, if this is New York, where I used to live, she would have said, fuck no. Sit down and shut up. Well, my New York, my Brooklyn came out. And I leapt up and got into her face and said, who the fuck are you? I need a COVID test. At that point, my wife grabbed me by the back of the shirt and pulled me back and said, sit down, let her handle it. I did. She tested me to find out whether I had a blood clot in my leg. Well, I didn't. And Dr. Lieberman knew he didn't, but I let them go through these motions. And then they said, we want to send you to the local emergency room, which, by the way, is right out there across the street from my bedroom. I said, why? They want to run a couple of more tests. Okay, I say. I go to the emergency room at a hospital I hate. I said, these are my symptoms. Can I please have a COVID test? And they, in their very Minnesota way, said, oh, geez, no, you don't really qualify for that. I started to get irate. My wife told me to shut up and sit down. I did. They ran tests. No, I wasn't having a heart attack. And no, I did not have a blood clot. They sent me home. Days went by. I got sicker and sicker and sicker. And being Dr. Lieberman, I went online and I had every symptom of COVID, including loss of smell and loss of taste. Next to the phrase COVID symptoms in a medical book, you could have seen my picture. About a month later, I'm still sick. I call the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, those people. They said, well, sure, why don't you get a COVID test? So I got in the car and drove an hour and a half to a Mayo facility to get tested. My test came back inconclusive. I called the Mayo line and they said, it was inconclusive. 
And I said, what does that mean? I said, you can use technical jargon. I know more than the average civilian. They said, well, you probably waited too long to get tested. The virus is hiding somewhere maybe in your lungs. And the test was a waste of your time. And that was that. The symptoms got worse. They eventually began to taper off after about a month and a half. And then, of course, began what's known as long haul. You feel good for a week. You get up. You start walking around. You start doing the things you like to do. And the next thing you know, bam, you're back in bed. That went on and off and on and off for about nine months. I finally went down to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and met with the head of the executive physical department, which is a fancy way of saying I saw a doctor. He said, well, you definitely have had a virus very similar to or exactly the COVID virus, but it's been so long, Howard, we can't really tell. We think you've just wasted too much time trying to figure this out yourself. You're not a doctor. And I tried to protest. I tried to say, look, what, a, what can I do? I, I tried to get help. Well, that went on and on and on. And eventually, it began to recede. I began to feel normal. I began to do normal things. And then I would get sick. And I'd go back to bed. And it would be on and on like that forever. I mean, today, I feel like crap today. Maybe I've got a migraine. I don't know. Then, okay, I didn't die. I didn't die. And, and maybe that's a good thing. There are people who wish I had died, but I don't really like them anyway. So then I said, well, I should probably get vaccinated. I called around to see if I could get vaccinated. And this time, this time I was smart. I started with the Mayo Clinic first. And they said no. I said, what do you mean no? I said, I'm over 70. I've got all these underlying conditions and I'm neurotic and everything else. And they said, no, we have to first take care of healthcare workers, people in senior homes or people who are even older than you. We'll be in touch with you eventually. And all around me, people were getting vaccines. We had a lottery here in Minnesota, 230,000 people for 8,000 shots. Not good odds. My wife and I both put our names in. She was chosen. I was not. Dr. Lieberman said, go. I'll handle this my own way. Eventually, I woke up one morning at 6 a.m. I called a Walmart store an hour and 10 minutes south of my house. And they said, we have a shot for you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. if you can make it. If not, we don't have another opening for three months. I went. I didn't feel good that morning, but I went. Because people have been asking Dr. Lieberman, should I get this vaccine? Is it going to put bots in my body? Is it going to allow the government to track me? Will it cause me to have birth defects? I said, you're not pregnant and you're a man. No, it won't cause any birth defects whatsoever. So I had to go take the, the vaccine. Trying to find a vaccine was more difficult than trying to get tested for COVID. There just weren't options. You know, I still haven't heard from the Mayo Clinic yet. 
I got my first vaccine. I got my second vaccine. In fact, I got my second vaccine on April 1st, April Fool's Day. And by that evening, I was sick as a dog. And that continued, and that continued, and that continued. I felt sicker than when I had COVID. And that's dissipated now. And so now people say, Howard, what should I do? I hear all these bad things about the vaccine. Even though I'm not really a doctor and do not play one on TV, I have no medical training whatsoever. I have a law degree. I have a graduate degree in economics, but I don't really know anything about medicine or healthcare. I feel obligated to tell people, get a vaccine. We'll never, ever get over this if we don't get almost everyone vaccinated. And now I'm a specialist. I'm a specialist in COVID. I'm a specialist in what the disease feels like. I'm a specialist in what long haul feels like. And long haul feels like you're, you're never going to recover. You wake up and suddenly you can't breathe. You wake up and you're a little dizzy. You wake up and you feel a sense of despair. And when you talk to real doctors, not me, but real doctors about long haul, they look at you they like, like they look at women who talk about chronic fatigue syndrome, like it's all in your head. Just get over it. But you know, I don't care what those doctors say. Dr. Lieberman knows that COVID, COVID long haul, and reactions to the vaccination are very real. So I guess I'd like to leave you with this thought. If you're confused about COVID, if you're confused about the vaccine, you can call Dr. Lieberman. I don't care about what kind of health insurance you have. I'll give you my learned advice every time. That was Howard Lieberman, a nationally known storyteller. Howard moved from Brooklyn to, as he describes it, bucolic but shockingly Republican Stillwater, Minnesota in 1990. His jaded yet surprisingly tender performance style has made him a favorite on the national and, thanks to Zoom, global storytelling scene. Howard is a member of the board of directors of the National Storytelling Network. Before we continue on today, I just want to remind everyone that if you want to support stories like the ones we're sharing today, if you, like all of us at The Story Collider, believe in the power these stories have to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, you can sign up to support The Story Collider on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash thestorycollider. We so appreciate the support of our patrons, especially during this unpredictable time. You can also check out storycollider.org for more information on upcoming shows and workshops. We have outdoor shows coming up this fall in New York, D.C., Boston, and more. And no matter where you are, we have live stream tickets available for other upcoming shows. Our next story today is from Monica Hickson. It was recorded in March 2021 at her home in Michigan. Dear 
December 31st, 2019. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! The beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new decade. 2020 have finally begun. My son and my fiance were standing in the living room as we watched the ball drop for a new year. We had just built the home two years prior. So we were staring into the television screen in front of the fireplace where we all held either a piece of chocolate or a cup of eggnog. We were optimistic and hopeful. This was the year my fiance was turning 60. My son was graduating from high school and he was turning 18. And I had a big 50th birthday and a family trip with over 30 people involved, one of our first. It was a magical time. January was cold, as it always usually is in Michigan, so many things were happening. In February, we decided to go car shopping for my son for his very first car. David, my fiancé, always wanted the best for my son, and he said that he deserved it because he was a straight-A student. David spoiled my son. David loved my son in his own way. Sometimes he was a little harsh, but he always made him feel special. David always said I was too hard on him. You see, David was a sweet and gentle man, such a gentle soul. He once said he wanted to be one of the nicest, kindest persons in the world. I always referred to David as a gentle soul or a gentle giant since he was 5'10 and roughly 225 pounds. He smiled all the time and with a little mysterious boyish grin. He was always mystical in his way of speaking. David and I not only wanted to support the kids in our family, but my son as well. In early March, we all attended my 17-year-old cousin's basketball game. He was always there to root for the kids. I was always the proud mom. Of course, I didn't have the mom genes, but I was always a proud mom nevertheless. In March 17th, David had a little tickle in his throat, and I assumed it was due to allergies. He later said he had a little sore throat, nothing to worry about, and then he developed a cough later on. By the end of the week, I thought it would be best if we went to urgent care, because I wasn't really sure if it was allergies or something else. At this time, there was a novel virus going around, so I wanted to make sure that he did not have it. So on a Saturday, I decided to drop him off, and I wanted to pull up at the door, and he said, "Mm, no, I can walk. I'm like, I could walk as well, so I parked. I noticed other people sitting in their parked cars, and I was kind of curious why they were still in their cars. We jumped out, went in, and I was immediately told that after, I can just go right back to the car and wait on David. So I did. About 25 minutes or so later, he came out and he said enthusiastically, well, I don't have the flu. So I looked at him and I said, high five. That means you have COVID and you're going to be one of the first survivors of COVID and live to talk about it. And he looked at me with a glare in his eye and he said, if I survive. I didn't think anything of it because he always used to joke and have this pity party with me all the time. 
So we drove to Target. I said, I can drop you off if you like. He's like, no, I'm going to ride to Target with you. So I figured he was optimistic and in good health and good shape, even though he still had a temperature. The next couple of days or so, the temperature rose to 104 degrees. And I decided that he needed to go back to the doctor's office. So that Thursday, I said, you know what? You have to promise me that you're going to go. And he said, if I don't feel better, I will go tomorrow, as he struggled for air. His breathing had really shortened, dissipated hard. It's hard for him to gasp any air. And I said, I can call emergency, as he laughed and struggled to say, no, I'll be okay. But he wasn't. That next morning, he did as I promised. He did wake up. I was sleeping by this time in the guest bedroom because I did not want to catch his illness. He woke me up with a cough. When I went into our bedroom and into the restroom where he was standing trying to shave as he was coughing and gasping for air, I finally took him to the doctor after about 20 minutes of getting prepared to leave. At this point, there were tents set up outside of the hospital, and all they can do is pull up to the curb. And when I pulled up to the curb, two nurses came with a wheelchair, and I just whispered, coronavirus. They immediately got him into the wheelchair, not before he fell up against my car. And I was worried. He finally got into the wheelchair, and they whisked him off. All I could see was the back of his hair. The salt and pepper hair that he had laid gently upon his neck. He was gone within a second. And the nurse, I remember her saying, this is where you say goodbye. And we both kind of gasped like, no, see you later. Those would be the last words I ever uttered to David. Days waiting by the phone for a phone call. I would wait sometimes two to five to six to seven hours just waiting to know if David was okay. He had been in the hospital for 21 days. I would only get one phone call a day, just one. Sometimes I would have to beg and call back two or three times because this was the early days of COVID. A lot of people were overwhelmed. The nurses and doctors were swamped. On the 19th day, I got a call saying that there was something going on with him, even more than kidney failure, even more than his high blood pressure and his fever going to 104 that they could not control. There was a strange acid buildup, and I knew, and I felt devastated because deep down I knew what acid build up. What does that mean? Two days later, they called me and they said, he may not make it until the morning. It wasn't really surprising, but my heart fell to my knees. Nevertheless, it was heart-wrenching to hear after 21 days, the fight was about to end. At 11.30, they started calling me and saying, do you have any last wishes, anything that you want to tell him? He can hear you. We have him on speakerphone. I said what I had to say. I said, I love you. 
And when you make it to the other side, please give me a signal or something and let me know you're safe. The doctors called again and said, it's almost time. Why the play-by-play? Just let this in. And at 1.30, it did. I got the call saying he made the transition without me by his side, without anyone by his side, except for nurses and a doctor as they held his hand as he passed away. No closure, nothing. During the course of the summer, I attempted to go back to work after about three weeks, which I think was a bad idea. Throughout the summer, there was a lot going on, not just with COVID and over thousands of people dying, but also a lot of issues such as poverty, social justice, police brutality, and me as an African-American woman having to endure that and the loss of my loved one really took a toll on my mental health. So in August, I went to the doctor and I happened to mention to my doctor, I'm having a little difficulty trying to focus. I don't know what's wrong with me. I cry every day, but I understand because of course I lost someone. So that's natural, right? She later diagnosed me with depression and PTSD. What? You're kidding. No way. I wasn't in a war. I wasn't in a traumatic situation. What are you talking about? There's no way I could have PTSD. I trusted her up until that point, and then I thought about it. Every time someone mentions the word COVID, coronavirus, masks, I would cringe at the sounds. I would cringe when I saw people in the grocery store with gloves on and masks and looking so pathetic. And I too felt it. All I could do was run back home to my safety. But was it safe? As soon as I walked in the door, all I could see was David, even though he was not there. 2020 was supposed to be the best year of my life. It ended up being the worst year of my life. Goodbye, 2020. Please don't ever come again. That was Monica Hickson. Monica is a trainer, higher education educator, and instructional designer, and a diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitator with more than 20 years of experience. She works for the University of Michigan as an instructional designer and DEI educator. She's a proud graduate of both Wayne State University and Central Michigan University. The Story Collider is so grateful to Howard and Monica for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of The Story Collider, with assistance from Story Collider's Program Director, Nissa Greenberg, and Senior Podcast Editor, Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, Marketing Manager Nikisha Roberts-Washington, and our intern Jamie Banks, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Gastor Almonte and me, Aaron Barker, respectively. 
Our theme music was composed by Eva Gertz of the Folden Street Music Group. This is the final installment of our Stories of COVID-19 series. Thank you for bearing witness to these stories with us. I hope you found some catharsis in some, some connection in others, and that they've inspired you or strengthened your resolve to help put an end to this pandemic. As Monica says in her last line, goodbye 2020, I hope you never come again. Thanks for listening. <laughs>